0: I say can you dig it put your two hands up like that can you dig
1: it? Can, 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 can,
2: can. here we go
0: welcome back to another episode of can you dig it a podcast by silver screen and roll in SB nation lakers community i am one of your hosts Christian Rebus, you can find me on Twitter at Rad Rivas. Uh, and I'm joined today by two people not only uh, am I joined by the incomparable Jacob Rude but <laughs> we're also joined by Silver Screen and Roll staff writer Sabrina Merchant uh, who covers the Sparks for the Athletic does some Clippers work for Clips SB Nation and then of course uh, is I, her main uh, her heart belongs with uh, Silver Screen <laughs> and Roll unless I'm mistaken uh but i don't believe i am sabrina how are you doing
2: i'm doing well thanks for the introduction
0: yeah no problem jacob uh another day in paradise i'm assuming
1: as always another day in paradise <laughs>
2: uh
0: so it the off season is as slow as it's ever been it's a miracle we're still posting on the site at this time <laughs> of year uh but the content god's did bless us with some bread uh this morning Uh, And it wasn't much, but it's still something worth talking about. And at the very top of that list is everybody's favorite player to talk about. But nobody's favorite player to sign uh, is Carmelo Anthony being linked to the Lakers once again. Uh, But it doesn't sound like the Lakers are too interested in signing him. Uh, So Sham Strani of The Athletic reported this morning, the Lakers did have discussions of signing uh, Carmelo Anthony last season. Uh, but they appear to be an unlikely option right now, which I know fans. But right, I, I, where I just kind of feel bad for Mello. Um, there are also mentions in the story that like he, he's having a hard time garnering interest or mutual interest, at least from from China and the big three. Um, it, it, it sounds like our, our boy is struggling a little bit.
1: Mello would be like talent wise, he still has enough. He's still good enough to be in the league, but like the problem's always been kind of mentally and accepting what he is now. I think Chauncey Billups was the one who, uh, who kind of said it best that he was always just a little too worried about how he did and not how the team did. And that is what's going to end his career a couple of years short. And I mean, he could be on a Team chasing a ring right now and be a steady contributor, but he doesn't really want to accept the role that his skill set is now. And, um, I mean, it is kind of sad because he's a really good player who's kind of been overshadowed or a little bit the last few years of his career, too.
0: I thought about this, Sabrina, and maybe you can chime in on this. Um, is there a team in the NBA, like think about the worst team in the NBA, which uh I mean just off the top of my head I think it might be oh boy the Charlotte Hornets I guess. Yeah I
2: was going to say Charlotte. Uh,
0: <laughs> or I think the Wizards are right up there too but I guess they have Bradley Beal so um we'll see how that is how that goes. Um the worst team in the NBA could they use Carmelo Anthony uh or is there another team that you can think of that would genuinely benefit from having Carmelo Anthony in the right role?
2: What's funny is I've been making fake trades from Mello to Charlotte for like the last ten years. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and because who, they've who never
2: really had a good small forward on the team.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. I I you can say the same thing about the Clippers too. I've I've been fantasizing about Melo to the Clippers during that Lop City era too. That contract was was a little hard to move, but you know, I thought it was feasible for a little while. Um, I just think the problem as Jacob mentioned with Melo is, is being willing to buy into that role. And I know we've heard whispers of, of him being completely content in his role with Houston, but I think he's one of those guys, um, that once he starts to get going, once he's on a hot streak, he, he jumps back into that mentality that he's the man. And I don't blame him. Like, you know, shoot or shoot. If you have a hot hand, ride that hot hand. Um, but i think the problem with him is that it's like once once those moments happen it's a very it's very much an i'm back moment for him and i feel like until he's willing to accept his role on a team even as a veteran player that you know that gets dnp's every once in a while um he probably won't play in the league again i mean
1: i think Houston was like an ideal fit for him for his skill set right. and whatnot. If he could have just accepted that he isn't a star anymore, and that I mean, the other problem is that he like refused to take corner three pointers and just wanted to step into like 20 <laughs> footers <laughs> or whatnot. And
0: yeah, but he I, apologized but I to Mike Antoni during a game, that yeah. was probably the funniest part of his Rockets <laughs> tenure,
1: yeah. So, I mean, it's <laughs> it's always just been kind of a mentality thing. Like to me, if it didn't work in Houston, I don't think it would really work any, I mean, maybe he goes to Charlotte and just jacks up 20 shots a game. I don't know who else seeing him and Terry Rozier (laughs) fight for shots would be pretty funny. Well, I,
0: I was, I was going to say, I know it's going to break your heart, uh, Jacob, but what do you think about D Steph, Stefan Mello uh, just going for like (laughs) 60 shots a game? <laughs> um losing every game 135 to to 134 i think it would, that would be interesting be
1: amazing to watch and it'd be amazing <laughs> to watch from a distance where i don't have to like actually root for that team
0: <laughs> Who, who's wh- what is that depth at the small forward position look for the warriors right now
2: i think it's alfonso mckinney
1: <laughs> is, that, is that
0: it i think i was it. expecting a list Jacob Just Evans, I think,
1: on. is considered a small forward, but...
2: Maybe they'll uh, play play there, you know, next to the two of them.
0: Right, that's next season, cool. I guess. Um, yeah. Dang, I mean, that's rough. I'm
1: down for seeing Melo in Golden State, because that only probably helps the Lakers playoff chances. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, that's too bad. Uh, well, from us here at Silverfield and Roll... Kind of, I, I the way I feel about Melo is kind of similar to the way I think Damian Lillard feels about uh, Carmelo Anthony is uh, we wish you the best just not here, buddy. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's what I'm rolling with. Um, another noteworthy thing that happened within the last 24 hours was Anthony Davis made his appearance on uh, the Jimmy Kimmel Live show. Um, on Tuesday, and while it was not as exciting as Magic Johnson's historic performance, which uh, <laughs> should be in like the government archives of um, just like historical like that moments, was his, like, that was like Game
1: we, Six of the what was it eighty one Finals? Whenever he started <laughs> at center, that was that level of performance. <laughs>
0: um, and he had a few few nice things to say. the The one thing that stood out to me. Was the fact that LeBron James texted him ten minutes after it happened saying, like, hey man, we got you. As if to say, like, the wait is finally over. You're here, let's let's get things rolling. And uh it's been what a month since that the Anthony Davis trade went down, unless I'm I'm misremembering. Mis- it just still doesn't feel real yet. The Anthony Davis and LeBron James are gonna be on the same team next season.
1: It really only felt real when he like held up the jersey at the press conference. And even then right. it was just like kind of pinch yourself. Like this is the arguably the best big man in the league, uh, in his prime on the Lakers, playing with LeBron James. Like it doesn't even feel real that LeBron James is a Laker, yes. like, let alone <laughs> Anthony Davis.
0: I think, I think they're going to be a lot of fun. Um, I, th- I think there's a lot of questions going into the season about roster construction and guys stepping up. And we'll talk about one of those guys later in the show. Uh, but, but before we get to that, last thing we want to touch on is uh, the Lakers announcing their assistant coaches. Um, of course, the the big one here is is Jason Kidd. Um that was announced pretty early on, even before Vogel took the job. I mean, Kid was in the mix, even when Tyron Lue was still in, in talks for the job. So uh I think we could have penciled that one in as soon as he was linked to the Lakers. Um, uh, which was honestly midway through last season, um, it was rumored that they had interest in him. For what reason, I don't know. Um, the Bucs took a pretty substantial Yana's leap without him there. Yeah, um, Lionel Hollins, who, I, if I'm remembering correctly, last coached with the Brooklyn Nets. Um, you know, had some success there. Uh, and but the the one that's
2: the Grizzlies, right? Like that's where he really made his mark. Yeah, that
0: that grit and grind era is is where he um, what he's most known for. And I mean, w- looking at guys like. Jason Kidd, Lionel Hollins, and and the head coach, Frank Vogel, it very much seems like this team is shaping up to be a very defensive-oriented team.
2: Would you agree, Sabrina? I mean, I guess in theory, you know, like Lionel Hollins' Brooklyn team wasn't very good at defense. Jason right. Kidd's Milwaukee team was pretty easy to figure out on defense. Uh, but yeah, from the Vogel standpoint, yeah, definitely emphasizing some defensive chops, but... I don't know. I don't, I don't know that the makeup of the roster suggests defensive team to me.
0: <laughs> right. And that was that was my biggest defense of uh, Luke Walton over these past few seasons is that these teams had no business being top 15 teams um, with the type of personnel they brought on in the past years. And I'm interested to see what Vogel does. Um on the defensive end, I think he's, he's pretty capable with that. Uh, and considering the success he's had with, with big men, whether it be Roy Hibber, Nikola Vucevic, Sergi Baca, um, and then Miles Turner that last year, although, um, you know, took him a few years to break out. Miles Turner's was probably going to be good regardless. Um, I, I I'm optimistic about Vogel. I'm optimistic about this coaching staff and I know the front office, Made it a a concerted effort to build a really strong bench after having, you know, Jesse Merme's on the bench for for all those years.
1: That was a big thing that stuck out to me. Is just like this is a way more experienced bench than Luke Walton ever had. Like Kid and Hollins are both former head coaches. Phil Handy's been around forever. Um, Even Mike Pinberthy has been around for quite a while, um, both playing and coaching. So that was a big thing that jumped out to me is that I assume that's what Vogel was kind of searching for in his assistants, um, where guys that have been around, which makes sense because he's kind of probably he's probably built relationships with those those guys um, throughout his career. But I mean, it's different from a team that the Lakers had that were in the with Luke Walton that were young guys kind of trying to develop versus this team which like Kuzma and and Horton Tucker about your only young guys on the roster and it's definitely more of a win now veteran team. So it makes sense to go with more veteran coaches.
0: Right. And I, I think the the weird thing about about this stuff and these hires is that uh really there's no way to calculate their impact on the team. Um I mean, you can make guesses as to, you know, who constructed the offensive scheme. And as the season goes on, that kind of stuff will most likely leak out. Um, but the impact of these signings is is all going to depend on the type of role uh, they play. And from everything... that's been assumed over the last few months jason kidd is essentially uh the associate head coach if not the head coach
1: i was gonna say for now
0: right (laughs) (laughs) um is there a how much do you guys buy into the belief um that frank vogel is a placeholder for jason kidd until you know either next season or before the season ends
2: I mean, pretty much the minute Ramona Shelburne said like they wanted to hire Jason Kidd, but thought it would be weird because of his history, like that was all the indication I needed that whoever was gonna be hired <laughs> <the place. laughs> it's that's yeah i great. mean
1: it, yeah that's a it's a terrible <laughs> first sign for Frank Vogel um i mean his the way they handled hiring him, I mean it wouldn't make sense any other way than for him to be as like the coach in waiting. Like, it's going to be interesting. I really, I mean, for a lot of reasons, but like, if the Lakers start off like really slow, like, and like nine and 10 or something through their first 20 games, like, I highly doubt Vogel lasts, and they're just going to immediately turn to kid, I think.
2: Yeah. The only thing that gives me I, hope is that the Lakers are pretty cheap. Um, <laughs> that's fair. I don't yeah. really want to fire Vogel year one into a three-year tenure because that's a lot of money left on the table.
0: Right. I think we'll just get like screen grabs of, of Jason Kidd and LeBron James leading the huddle with Frank Vogel on the outside <laughs> uh, or just passive aggressive Instagram posts with LeBron James and Jason Kidd talking about this is my guy because I feel like that's a really underrated aspect in all of this is that all the reports that came that when, when the reports that Jason Kidd was being linked to the Lakers came out all the reports were: this is a hiring LeBron James would app would absolutely back. He's a really big fan of kid. He respects kid, um, and like literally every other reason for hiring kid has been thrown out the window. We had the <laughs> argument that uh, Jason Kidd was going to help develop the young core, which as of now consists of and Horton Tucker. Um, you know the the appeal with. Kyrie Irving admiring Jason Kidd as a kid growing up in Brooklyn. Kyrie Irving plays for the Brooklyn Nets because he <laughs> loves Brooklyn so much. Like all of the reasons to bring Jason Kidd aboard are are just flew out the window. Um and from what's the word I'm looking for? From a uh, from a basketball standpoint, I was trying to put it lightly, but if, if we're talking strictly basketball, there's no reason for Jason Kidd to be on this coaching staff, let alone as an associate head coach or a potential replacement head coach. Um, we'll see how it plays out. I'm not a big fan of this of this signing, and I'm not a big fan um, of of the the next signing we're going to talk about once we come back from the break. Well, it is pretty late in free agency. I don't think the Lakers are, are done making impact signings or pardon me. I think they are done making impact signings unless Andre Iguodala, uh shakes free from the Memphis Grizzlies like Avery Bradley did um, not too long ago. He had a pretty monster size salary that the Grizzlies just decided he was not worth paying and the Lakers picked him up for the room exception. Um, and, He's probably the most polarizing player on the roster for me uh, as we go down the list of players on the Silver Screen and Roll podcast um, over these next few days. Um, Avery Bradley of two years ago, um, and you can even argue three years ago, was a very good or, or a serviceable two way player. I think he was a little overrated during his time in Boston if we're being completely honest. But the the one thing like for sure with him was that he could guard ones and twos. Um and Sabrina as somebody that that covers the Clippers for SB Nation, um I think you can speak to to his last two years or year and a half with the Clippers. Um it didn't exactly go the way they envisioned when, when they traded for him in that, in that like Griffin trade.
2: Yeah. So I'm going to say that Avery Bradley is probably the worst signing that the Lakers made this off season. Oh, wow. Hot yeah. take. I'm going to start with that. I think I would agree. <laughs> so he spent a year with the Clippers. He was part of the Blake Griffin trade brought him right. in, in like January, 2018. And then he got shipped out at the trade deadline this past season. And he basically didn't play during 2018 because he was hurt when he arrived from Detroit. So he only really had a half season for the Clippers. Right. And by the volume of vitriol that you get from Clipper fans. <laughs> and this is this is a Clipper team that like won 48 games, happy-go-lucky Clipper team, ended in dramatic success this offseason. They still hate him so much <laughs> because of how bad he was for that first half of the season. I mean, this is a guy who, in my opinion, he's been coasting on his defensive reputation for years and years. Like, Absolutely. His defensive stats have never really suggested that he's a good defender, but because he played in Boston and Doc Rivers said he was a good defender, he's been characterized as one. Yeah. And then he openly grumbled about his role in the offense because he thought, like, on a team with Lou Williams and Danilo Gallinari, that he should have a larger share of the shot taking and shot creation, I should say. Um, I mean, there, there's no good reason why he should have, <laughs> 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 he likes taking good range jumpers like Christian said earlier. I mean, yeah. he's not an efficient score really from anywhere on the court. The Clippers, uh, put Shea Gildas Alexander in the starting lineup when he got hurt at the start of the season and they never took him out. And then when they flipped him for J. Michael Green and Garrett temple at the trade deadline, which I don't understand what Memphis was thinking at the right. time.
0: <laughs> That's a. Other than
2: I, I think there was like some tax avoidance or like they needed to create next roster spot for the Marcus soul trade. Yeah. Uh, but like there was just an instant improvement in chemistry all around the team when he left. Oh no. <laughs> and I mean, I don't know that you can attribute it just to him because the Clippers like rehauled about half the roster at the trade deadline.
0: Yeah. And they acquired Zubot. So true. I mean- they
2: acquired- <laughs> <laughs> But I'm just saying that there are there are a lot of things that made the Clippers a good team last year. And every single one of them had to do with the absence of Avery Bradley on the basketball court.
0: I, I think that's a, a fair assessment. It, it might be a little harsh, but I think it's fair. Um, uh, Jacob, I know you have deferring views on the Avery Bradley signing um at least to some extent. So I'll I'll let you uh stake your claim right here. Uh, what do you got for me?
1: Well, I first I think I would agree with Sabrina that it was probably the worst signing the Lakers made. But oh, um, for the
0: money, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um I don't know who else would have paid him that much money, but I mean everything I I mean, Sabrina touched on it, but every Clipper fan I know just, like, hated him, despised him for a full year. Like, there was never really any positives from that that season that he spent with the Clippers. And the numbers basically bear that out. Like, he was just dreadful. Um, his box plus minus was 466 out of 474. Um, he was four hundred and seventy-second in offensive RPM. Oof. Like he was, there was one other stat. Uh, oh, his wind shares. Um the default league average is 0.1 and he was negative <laughs> 0.026. Um anything basically under point zero three is considered like dreadful. Yeah. Um so he was basically dreadful. <laughs> um And, like, the only good thing he did, if you look at – you have to, like, dig pretty deep into, like, synergy stats, was, like, he was a good spot-up shooter, but he was, like, above average, and this was all in uh, with the Clippers. He was above average, but it was, like, only in very specific situations, and it just – that was a big thing for me, like I said, is that I don't know why they paid him so much money. And like, like Sabrina said, he's kind of coasting off what he used to be, which I agree was pretty overhyped even then. And you're not getting that like idealized version of Avery Bradley from three years ago. If that were the version we were getting, then like I think he'd be a really good signing and he'd fit a need. But he's not that. And... I don't know – I don't think it'll end well. Like, I know there's some – I think he said that he was kind of bothered by an injury last year, and um, maybe that's why he didn't play as well. That doesn't really explain why he didn't play well the year before. Um,
0: yeah, I those uh those comments from him in his introductory press conference were a little telling for me because uh, the argument – for Avery Bradley's But what about his time in Memphis? He was really good in Memphis. He got his confidence back. And when Bradley was asked about his time in Memphis, he said, um, and, and I'm paraphrasing here. He said, I was told by the Memphis coaching staff to be Boston Avery Bradley. And that's when things started clicking for me. It's like, why do you need to be told <laughs> to be the best version you've ever been of yourself to get going? It's not like doc rivers was telling him oh hey man like just go out there and and play your best
2: basketball you can today this is the worst doc rivers impersonation i've ever heard
1: (laughs) that should not be a reoccurring
0: segment (laughs) that's what he sounds like to me that's what that's the noises yeah (laughs) um he I, I don't get at what point Avery Bradley thought like, well, nobody's telling me to try my best. So I might as well <laughs> yes. just, you know, have fun while out there. Um, I think the, the only sliver of optimism with Avery Bradley. And I think it, this optimism is probably misplaced because as Sabrina mentioned, uh, the Clippers were a playoff team last year. Uh, they were a, damn good team and he's going to be on a playoff team we hope this year with the Lakers and playing under Frank Vogel being on a veteran heavy team and a and a star-laden team the hope is that he buys into that role again of just being a 3 and D guard that guards ones and twos hits open jump shots and and, and isn't asked to do a lot on offense um and I guess if Frank Vogel just gets in his ear and tells him to be Boston Avery Bradley, problem solved. Uh, But more realistically, you're banking on him, one, coming back healthy, uh, and two, guarding ones and twos. And the reason I say he's one of the more polarizing players on the roster is because if he can't guard ones and twos and hit open jump shots, the the backcourt rotation and and the usage of their roster spots um becomes s- like so much more questionable. Like there is so much room for the unknown and so much more room for something to go wrong in that backcourt if Avery Bradley can't play a lick of defense or hit an open jump shot.
2: And that's and- the problem with that Boston Avery Bradley thing is because When I think Boston Avery Bradley, I think of the guy who forced Ray Allen out. Like The reason Ray Allen didn't want to be on the team anymore was because they were giving too much of the backcourt responsibilities to him and Rondo. Right. And like it's one thing to play well for a team in Memphis that has nothing to do for the last two months, and you get to have the ball in your hands as much as you want, and none of your games have any consequences. And even the star rookie is out for the last six weeks because he's hurt, so literally you get full run of the court. I mean like you talk about the role that he needs to fill on the Lakers. He needs to knock down shots and he needs to guards one and two ones and twos. That's exactly the role he needed to occupy on the Clippers. And he balked at that role. He thought that wasn't good enough for him. That didn't showcase his offensive creativity. He's going to have the same opportunity on the Lakers. Like I don't understand why he thinks that he'll have more freedom to do what he wants on offense or more of an opportunity to showcase his skills. Like that's, that's not here. That maybe could have happened somewhere else, but it's not going to happen for the Lakers. And that's like what Jacob said. It just, it doesn't make sense why they gave him so much money to perform a task that I don't think he wants to fulfill. Mm-hmm. And even if he does, I don't think he has shown that he can capably do that over the last five seasons. Like this is a sentence I've never thought I'd say. I think he's a worse version of Casey
1: Oh, Because
2: <laughs> Casey can actually like actually likes taking swat of jumpers right and he's a good point guard defender he's good i mean he's better point guard defender than a two-guard defender but like that's he's a perimeter defender yeah like, he's just more willing to do the things they're going to ask of avery bradley and i don't know that he's like technically better at doing them I mean, they played together in detroit and his numbers actually outpaced bradley's but like the fit doesn't make any sense to me the the contract doesn't make any sense to me and like you hear all of these things about like the culture that the glippers have built and like how like that's why Kawhi wanted to join. That's why Paul George wanted to join. He's the only guy who's ever badmouthed what happened over the last two years. The <laughs> only one.
0: Oh boy, uh, not exactly a glowing endorsement for Avery Bradley <laughs> uh, from Sabrina. And I think the the toughest part, if you're listening to this as a Lakers fan, is it's kind of hard to refute it. Uh, I mean, all of this is out there. At least most of it's out there. Um, and for a team that already has LeBron James on the roster, I don't know how much more drama that locker room uh, can endure. I mean, you know, at the three quarters mark of last season, we got a locker room intervention with Michael Beasley and Josh Hart. And I mean, if, if something like that happens again this year, I think we can um, probably point to who'd start it. Um, Jacob, before we before we head out here pretty soon um is is there a reason beyond the ones i mentioned uh to be optimistic that Avery Bradley can make an impact on this Lakers team
1: Sabrina made most of the points i was ready to make in that this is Sorry. no it was it was just that this he's going to have the role that he had with the clippers like they're it didn't work then. And as she said, they kind of have this deserved reputation of building a culture there that everybody kind of buys into. Um, and I mean, when he went to Memphis he had success, but he had success doing things he's probably not going to do with the Lakers. Like he ran a bunch of pick and roll and um, didn't spot up nearly as much. And I, I don't think the Lakers are going to have him do that. Um, So, I mean, I guess my answer is I'm not very optimistic about this at all Um, because we have a pretty big sample size with the Clippers of what his role is going to be, and it didn't work out there. That's an
2: interesting point, actually, Jacob, that like I think we've complained that this roster doesn't really have a guard that can do any like initiation, you know? Um, and I don't think Bradley is that guy, but there might be an opportunity for him to try it out at least at the start of the season.
0: Whoa, 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 hold Just on, like non Lebron minutes, right? Hold on, the, the I'm not gonna lie, the Alex Caruso disrespect is is getting <laughs> me a little hot.
2: I assume Caruso's starting alongside Lebron James,
0: <laughs> okay? Well. <laughs> I'm glad you cleared that up because um, I was about to end this podcast on a real sour note. Um,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: I think it, it it really does come down to lineups at that at that guard position with this Lakers team. Because um, I think, I, I don't want to speak for everyone, but my pick for that starting point guard spot alongside Danny Green, whether Green starts at the three or two, is probably Alex Caruso because... Um, you know, I think Quinn Cook would be just fine. He has a really hard time defending and staying in front of anyone, uh, but he can hit open three pointers. That's for sure. Same can't be said about Avery Bradley or Rajon Rondo. Um, although, yeah, Rondo showed improvement on that end. I mean, yeah. I give give credit where it's due. As far as open three pointers go, he was he was not the worst. I I've seen, or at least not the worst I've seen out of him.
1: Endorsement—the <laughs> <laughs> um, worst three-pointer I've, I've ever seen.
0: Um, and yeah, the the thing is, is Bradley absolutely has an opportunity to crack that starting lineup um, if he plays well, and if he does all those things, we all the things we've mentioned in this mm-hmm. podcast. It's just the the room for optimism. It's so little. And if if you're going to give that playing time to somebody, you might as well give it to, to Alex Caruso, who's younger than than Bradley by a considerable amount, um, who can initiate um, and can shoot, which Rondo can only do one. And that's a generous one I'll give him. Because um, even then, his assists are a little assist hunty. Um probably and, wasn't
1: great that I was trying to figure out which one you were going to do.
0: Um I I I'm interested to see how Bradley does. I hope he succeeds. I'm not particu- particularly optimistic that he will um but I guess we'll see what happens. And uh guys, thank you so much for for having this intervention. With me, uh do either of you guys have any parting words before we go?
1: Play Alex Caruso, yeah,
0: and I, mean, if... I think that's a <laughs> go ahead.
2: I know, you know what? There's no better word to end on than play Alex Caruso. <laughs>
0: <laughs> play, play Alex Caruso. He used to be pay Alex Caruso, but Alex Caruso got paid, and I hope they. And I, I knew this. But it felt really good writing it when when I was writing an article for Silver Screen and Roll the other day. Alex Caruso is the highest paid point guard on the roster. Let's just all take a moment to bask in oh, that. Wow.
2: What a, I didn't even think what of that. a. How much is he making? A, uh,
0: five million a year, I think. Um, let's yeah. see. Hop on the Google machine really quick. I think it's two years 10 mil. Um,
2: oh, okay.
0: Actually, it might be Quinn Cook. Oh no, it's a two-year, five point five million dollar contract. I'm a liar. It was about. I was Quinn gonna say. I think Quinn Cook
1: so. is by like
2: a couple. Yeah, I mean, I mean, unless you consider winning. Quinn a two, I guess.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, for my purposes, I will. Um, <laughs> I love Alex Russo. I want him to succeed. Um, And let's hope the Lakers start him. If not, let's all uh, let's all pray Avery Bradley has something left in the tank. Thanks. So much for joining us, Sabrina. Thank you, Jacob, for taking the time out of your week once a week to hear me blabber on about (laughs) basketball. Um, I enjoy hearing you blabber on about basketball. And if you listeners like hearing us blabber on about basketball, you can leave us a kind little review on iTunes and listen to I Love Basketball uh, with... One of the hosts, Sabrina Merchant. Uh, and Sabrina, is there anything exciting coming up on I Love Basketball?
2: Well, we're uh, continuing the player previews that Silver Screen Roll has been doing, and we've got Demarcus Cousins tomorrow, so that's be fun.
0: That's one I will tune into because I am very high on the Demarcus Cousins sign, and I think he'll be good. Uh, you can check that out, uh, and, and we'll see you all next week.